This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. Our scripture reading for this evening is from the book of Romans. We're looking at the book of Romans. And we are going to be in chapter 1, starting with verse 18 this evening. It's printed in your bulletin in the New Living Translation. We're going to be using that uh, because it's a very clear and simple translation. Um, But today I'm going to be um, using the, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And then that's the one I'll be referencing mostly in the sermon but it'll be interesting um, when I say, like, look at verse 18. If you look in the um, New Living Translation, what you get will be a little different from what I read. So that's not an interesting, that's kind of an interesting exercise. Not a bad thing to do. So this is Romans 1, 18 through 32. The wrath of, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. 
They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, <clears throat> but they give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's a hard passage um, to say thanks be to God about um, because it's about God's, um, basically, uh, his, his statement of the world uh, and its rebellion against him. There's really no more full or clear picture of uh, God's response to the world's rebellion against him than this passage. And the key word is, is wrath, the wrath of God. <clears throat> Verse 18 is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Wrath is his response to all of this ungodliness and unrighteousness. And um, when you hear the word wrath, I, I wonder what you think of. It's not a word that we use very often. And uh, it's definitely not a word that conjures up uh, pleasant images. Um, you might think about uh, a parent, like a dad at a dinner table, you know, pounding the table um, out of anger because you didn't get to the table on time or saying, don't make me come up there and then pounding up the stairs. Um, it could be a boss, the wrath of your boss that's screaming at you, um, that is saying things that are demeaning. I, I always think of the Wrath of Khan, which was Star, War, uh, Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan. I don't know why. That's, there's not many other places the, wor the word wrath is used in, in pop culture. But if you Google the word wrath, you get these um, images of, there's one that, uh, it's kind of like the emperor in Star Wars where his fingers are like this and like blue lightning is shooting out over the earth, kind of coming from the sky. And there's a lot of them that have fire and uh, lightning bolts. There's one with a closed fist that's like pounding the ground. All this dust is coming. There's one with Jesus, his eyes are like lasers that are coming out. He's coming back. And uh, these are not the things that um, the Bible is describing when it uses the word wrath. So put those things to the side, if that's what you think. And it's very hard to do that, but I want to try to rehabilitate the word wrath and I think of wrath, I just watched the movie Just Mercy. Um, and I love these social justice movies um, about someone um, who fights the power, so to speak. And uh, this movie Just Mercy is about a lawyer um, named Brian Stevenson who's helping to fight people who are on death row unjustly. And there's one scene where the judge um, sentences, sentences this man, this black man, to... Um, to, to the death penalty that clearly does not deserve it at all. And there's those scenes in those movies where you're just kind of, you just heat, you feel heat kind of, you know, rush through your body, um, which is, it's not like a temper tantrum at all. Um, it's, it's not like a closed fist, anything like that. It's like, it's almost more like lament. Um, and that's the sense that we're talking about here with wrath. I was studying this with some folks uh, and one of the guys said, for some reason, he's like, I thought of the, the, the Ents, a tree beard, the Lord of the Ents and Lord of the Rings. Maybe because they're trees or something like that. But um, 
when Treebeard is like this walking, talking tree, he's very slow to act, and uh, he's always saying that people are too hasty, um, and he's very mild-mannered, this gigantic tree that moves around. He's like the, the king of the trees. Well, when he sees his forest that he's supposed to be protecting just completely burned uh, by this cruel wizard who's using the, the fuel to create weapons to destroy, um, he just cries out in pain and wrath. And he and his fellow trees uh, go and attack this wizard. And there's something about that scene, maybe because it's not human, but it's like, it's like nature, the wrath of nature, where you kind of understand this implacable opposition to evil. And that's really what wrath is. It's God's um, response to the destruction of his good creation. And it's not irritable. Uh, it's not God being petty or like an unpredictable, uh, sudden anger. It's very patient, it's very steady, and it's very measured. And I want to look at um, the reason that he is angry, that the reason he has this wrath. And I, I even uh, hate to use the word angry because it is such a different thing from the way we think of as anger. So I want to look at the reason the Bible says that there's this wrath, and then the way wrath is expressed, um, which is not through the lightning bolts or the, the fist, the pounding fist, but it's... Uh, in a more of a passive way, he gives us up. He lets us go. He lets us do our own thing. So first of all, the reason for his wrath um, is surprising. Look at verse 18. I'm not sure what the um, New Living Translation says. I'd love to know. It's, um, it's probably a really interesting translation of what this says. But in the, in the ESV, the, the reason the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, and this is present tense. This is not just in the future like the day of judgment, this is right now, this is happening, this is live, wrath is coming, wrath is happening. Um, the reason is because humans um, suppress the truth. That's what it says we, in, in unrighteousness. We suppress the truth. And um, you might call it glory suppression. That's maybe a better way of thinking of it than truth suppression because we're suppressing the truth of his glory. We are um, keeping down that which uh, ought to be glorious, and we're, we're hiding it. We're suppressing that knowledge. Um, in verse 23, uh, Paul says, We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So uh, we are doing like a cover-up on God's glory. In Psalm 19, uh, David talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, constantly singing out, and the, the skies are proclaiming his handiwork. And every day after every day, um, the night uh, is revealing knowledge of a master architect, the way the planets move, the way the stars move. And um, it's just pouring out speech, constant revelation of God. And David even says there's no language, there's no uh, dialect, there's, there's no... Uh, tribe or remote island where these things are not heard. So in other words, every human being is constantly being bombarded with glory, just glory, glory, glory. And that's what Paul says in verse 20, that ever since the creation of the world, uh, God's invisible attributes, his power, his nature, they're clearly perceived. Uh, I'm looking out the window right now, these gorgeous trees, this lawn, uh, these bees and the wind and the sky. And what that is telling me is glory, just saying glory, glory. And it's, nature is just washing over us with the magnificence of the creator's beauty 
um, like after a storm when you go out the beach and there's just these breakers just hitting the beach, gigantic waves, like boom, boom, boom. They just say, you know, glory, glory, glory. And then Paul says our response to that uh, is what the fool says in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, no God, no God, no God. Uh, in Hebrew, it doesn't say there is no God. Just it's just like the fool just doesn't want there to be God. Like no, 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 no. I don't want there. I don't want to see it. And verse twenty one says, uh, although they knew God, although this constant bombardment of glory and beauty causes their mind to light up with knowledge, they they did not honor him. They did not want to worship him. They did not want to thank him. And I've heard a lot of people say, and I've said this myself, so I, I have sympathy. Um, it's just the culture we live in. People will say, well, you know, you, nobody could ever know whether there's a God or not. That's like a 50-50 question. Uh, but Paul clearly doesn't think that way. He, he says, no, we, we do know that deep down, however suppressed the knowledge is, um, almost like we're repressing like um, some kind of trauma from the past, the way that someone represses things. It's like we, uh, we know, but we don't, we don't want to. Uh, it to be the case. And so one of the most famous uh, philosophers in the world, Thomas Nagel, uh, he, he's an atheist, but he says, uh, it isn't that I don't believe in God so much as I hope there's no God. I don't want there to be God. I don't want a universe like that. And he admits that he has a, a, what he calls a cosmic authority problem, which is basically verse 21, where he's saying, you know, I don't want to have to honor someone greater than me. I don't want to have to, you know, lift my hands in praise uh, to one who is greater than me. I mean, even now as a believer, as God has helped me kind of with my suppression of his glory, and believers still have this in their hearts, it's still hard for me to do that, you know, to raise my hand um, or to give thanks or to kneel, um, to bend the knee, to give thanks to God. Now, you might say, I love, I love nature, I love hiking, um, I, I love to see God in his creation. And, you know, I do too. I've, most people I've met would say that. But I think the problem is that Paul would say we don't move from the creation and its beauty up to the creator. We don't trace the sunbeam up from the, the beauty of creation to the creator. And even um, those of us who love nature, maybe, and you might be someone who just loves to be out um, you know, outdoors, and you feel closest to God in nature. But even then, it's really hard to take like even five minutes and just be still and just to watch it and to see it and to glory in it. Uh, if you are able to do that, that is a real gift. It's very hard to do that. I have a, I have a reminder every day on my, on my watch that says uh, five minutes of silence. I've been doing this for trying to do this for a year. And I would say half the time I say I'm too busy. I just, I just, say no. But I'm, I'm supposed to be sitting in silence um, for five minutes and, and thanking God. And uh, it's incredibly hard. Um, one of the Puritans, Thomas Goodwin, says we are allergic to the beauty of our maker. I thought of analogy, the way that we hide the glory of God. You know, imagine there was a, um, there's this gorgeous, uh, there's this gorgeous island in the Pacific with this little valley that is like the most beautiful valley in the world. We went to Hawaii and on Oahu, on the North Shore, there's a place called Waimea Bay. Um, and people jump off these rocks, like down into the water, it's gorgeous. And um, they're just these lush green mountains that 
go right into this transparent blue water. It's like rocky cliffs jutting down occasionally. And there's sea turtles in there. There's dolphins in there. It's like perfect 80 degrees, no humidity, no mosquitoes, palm trees on the beach. So imagine something like that, <clears throat> this gorgeous, gorgeous, maybe the most beautiful place on earth. And then imagine if like a small business conglomerate of like the 10 wealthiest people in the world bought it. And they blocked anyone from, from coming there. They made it private. And then they suppressed all knowledge of its existence. They erased it from, you know, all computer banks and images so that nobody would know it was there. And that is a, a, just a small fraction of the wickedness of humans in suppressing the glory of God, the beauty of God. Because that Waimea Bay is just like a little spark from the mind of this infinite creator. The way, we, the way that somebody would want to hide that beauty from other people. Um, but this is, this is like the creativity that made Victoria Falls or the Alps or the Milky Way. You know, this is the, the face of God. Not just nature, but the thing, the mind, the imagination behind elephants and hippos and rhinos and toucans and parrots. There's this conspiracy that we all have to, to hide that. And... Um, we even train our children to focus more on what Paul says is mortal man than the immortal God. I mean, it's not just that we fall into this. It's, um, it's like a cover-up, a massive cover-up. So that's, that is the reason Paul says that the wrath of God is coming. Uh, it's because we have exchanged, verse 23, the glory of the immortal God for images of mortal man. Uh, like Caesar's head on the denarius in Jesus's day, or Benjamin Franklin's head on a hundred-dollar bill, or Stalin's face on posters, or Ford being on cars, or Air Jordan on a shoe. These images of mortal man, uh, they try to capture our attention and divert us from the glory of God. Uh, whether it's uh, <clears throat> movie stars, celebrities, politicians, we are more likely to lift up our hands or bow down to them. You know, you see people bowing down to a sports star that scores a touchdown or something like that, or a celebrity just going crazy. John Lennon said um, of the Beatles, we're more popular than Jesus. And it was probably true in his day. And that is the reason um, that God's wrath is coming, is um, because of the way that we cover up his glory and uh, exchange his glory for this tiny little glory of creatures. That's point one. Now, point two is the expression of that wrath. How, what does that wrath look like? What, happens, what is happening in our lives when wrath is happening? And it's not, uh, it's, again, it's not Zeus throwing lightning bolts um, at um, people. It's not Godzilla breathing fire or crushing some city in Japan. It's, it's God actually doing the opposite of that, which is giving us up. Verse 24 says, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, which is another phrase for just our cravings. Um, God gives us over to our desire to worship the created things. And there's such a desire in us to worship created things that our, our cravings just get inflamed when God gives us over to those things. So whether it's money or sex or wine or sugar or beauty or status or your children or your education or art, or whatever it is, um, when we worship the creation instead of the creator, all our desire for the creator gets put into these things that are horizontal instead of vertical. 
And uh, it might seem great for a little while, but it just completely crashes and burns. Uh, I once had a hairdryer that was American made and I went to England and I plugged it in without an adapter. And at first it seemed like it was really running well and it was producing a lot of lot more heat than normal. And, uh, and then pretty soon it, uh, it like turned black and there was a terrible smell of burning. And it was just, there was just too much power. And we try to plug our, you know, our desires for things into this God-sized uh, power source. And our desires just go crazy. And so wrath is, is happening to you when God is giving you over to these desires you have for things that get more and more frantic. One of my favorite books is uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, which is his depiction of hell. And uh, what he depicts hell to be is people who are given over to their obsessions. And actually, Dante's Inferno is very similar. Um, but he meets people in hell. There's one as a mother who's obsessed by her son and just can't let that go. And that's keeping her kind of locked herself down there. Uh, one is an artist who's obsessed by his art. There's one guy who's a businessman, and he's, he's so obsessed with success that he wants to develop heaven as kind of a capital venture. And that's all he can think about is success. And so just think about the way that um, God might be giving you over to your cravings for things. Um, that is when you're experiencing wrath. The uh, New Testament scholar Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, he says we become what we worship. I mean, think about that. You become more and more like the thing that you worship all the time, that you think about all the time. So he says, when we worship that which is not God, we cease to reflect his image. Those who worship money increasingly treat other people as creditors, debtors, partners, or customers. Those who worship power treat other people as either collaborators, competitors, or pawns. Mm -hmm. Those who worship sex increasingly treat other people as actual or potential sex objects. So think about this in relation to sex in particular, because Paul highlights that. And what he says about that is particularly hard for us um, in our culture. Um, in verse 26, he says, women exchanged natural relations for unnatural, and men gave up natural relations with women to be consumed with passion for one another. And this is a really hard thing to hear in a culture that has basically erased uh, one sexual boundary after another for the last 50 years. Just keep erasing these boundaries. And then all of a sudden, these people saying, except for that one thing, you know, uh, except for homosexuality, and then there we put a prohibition. And it feels very arbitrary and cruel to do that. In this culture we live in, especially when our culture says, unless you are sexually fulfilled, uh, you are not really living the good life. And so in a culture like that, it feels really hard to hear Paul say that. Um, but this is, um, this is a boundary that God has put around this very powerful, beautiful thing of sexuality and um, what Paul is saying here is that um, the boundaries God has put around that is between a husband and a wife is the only place that sexuality uh, is, is glorifying to the creator because that is part of creation's beauty and order and is what makes us flourish. And so um, it's, it's very hard to hear that, but um, this is a consistent depiction 
of sexual integrity throughout the scripture. And, and one reason that um, it's very hard to, to talk about that is because the church has often pointed to that as a you know, particularly heinous thing or uniquely heinous thing, and meanwhile has made um, all these respectable sins um, kind of like we don't care so much. We just, we just turn a blind eye or we give them a pass. And so this massive double standard we have, uh, a lot of hypocrisy there. Paul lists uh, covetousness, malice, envy, strife, deceit, gossip, and slander, among other things. And being given over to those things is also an expression of, of God's wrath. Um, and you don't hear a lot of pastors uh, speaking against coveting wealth. Um, you don't hear people um, that are the spokesmen, sp- supposed spokesmen for Christianity talking about um, gossip or those who sow division or people who make fun of other people. Um, these things are often just uh, ignored by the church. Insolent, haughty, and boastful, it says in verse 30. And insolent is defined as showing a rude and arrogant lack of respect. And, you know, where is the Christian outrage about insolence? Because that is rampant today, and and even among Christians. And yet somehow uh, we don't seem to act as if that's part of this list here. And so it's very dangerous the hypocrisy of what uh, Paul calls a, a debased mind. Um, the sin is, 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 is starts in the mind. Again, it's, uh, it's, tr- it's suppressing the truth. And when he gives you up to a debased mind, there's all this hypocrisy and self-righteousness, all this, this judgment. And a lot of times, even when we read these passages about wrath in the Bible, we, we tend to think that it's those people that uh, are in trouble with the wrath. You know, that it's the right-wing bigot or the left-wing snowflake who is the one that uh, God is talking about here. Um, we're always applying to somebody else. And that is theologically very toxic because the question we should be asking ourselves is, where in my life is it happening? Where, where am I being handed over to my obsessions? Um, I'm sure a big one I know in my life and a lot of your lives right now is anxiety about health, about safety. And um, that could be an expression of, of wrath is being just handed over more and more fully to anxiety or anger about the media conspiracies. You know, wanting to protest the government shutdown is, is another manifestation of that kind of obsession, being handed over more and more to some obsession. And then probably for most of us, it's just a growing dependence on like small pleasures throughout the day. For, for us at our household, it's been you know, eating uh, chocolate cake like at 10 or 11 p.m. almost every night. Um, with you, man. <laughs> watching, watching a movie and going to bed at 2 a.m. Um, like little, almost every night. Mm. And um, so hard to be creative. And uh, even playing like, uh, you know, a game like Trouble or Sorry is like, you feel like that's a win if you can get in a game like that. And so, um, you know, we need to be asking ourselves, whether we're a Christian or not, you know, where am I experiencing the wrath of God? And this is not... Uh, something that is only for the non-Christian. This is Paul saying this is happening to everyone. Wrath is, wrath is happening. But the reason he talks about wrath is not to talk about wrath for its own sake, but to talk about the gospel. Because 
The most important word in this whole passage is the first word, which is therefore, or in some translations it says for. Um, the reason that wrath uh, is being talked about here is because he's just talked about the righteousness that can only come from above. And so he's saying that um, the wrath of God is, is being revealed from heaven because the righteousness of God is being revealed. And in other words, you can't understand the righteousness from above unless you understand that, that we don't have any righteousness that can come from below to above. There's no way that, there's no way we can have our own righteousness, which is why Paul is saying that wrath is coming. It's just setting us up for the gospel, um, which is to say uh, in Romans eleven thirty two 32, that, that he consigned all people to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And so the only reason he's talking about wrath is to highlight the glory of the free righteousness of Christ. That's the only reason he's talking about it. And God's response to our despicable exchange or the horrible exchange or the hideous exchange where we exchange the glory of God for idols, you know, God's response to that um, is not just wrath, but his final response to that is what uh, John Calvin calls the great exchange or the wonderful exchange or the miraculous exchange. And when we exchanged uh, his mighty glory for our puny glory, uh, his response to that is to say, okay, I am going to also exchange my magnificent glory for you, for your puny glory. And I'm going to go from being the, you know, the mighty God who was worshipped by angels and archangels to this despised and rejected and humiliated criminal who's given the death penalty. Um, that's how God responds to our horrible exchange is what John Calvin calls the wonderful exchange. And I'll just read this quote to close. We've actually used this in our, um, in our worship before, in our affirmation of faith. This is from John Calvin. By Christ's descent to earth, he has prepared our ascent to heaven. By taking on our mortality, he has conferred on us his immortality. By accepting our weakness, he has strengthened us by his power. Receiving our poverty unto himself, he has transferred his wealth to us. And taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself, he has clothed us with his righteousness. And this meal that, once again, we do not um, celebrate this evening but long to is, uh, is the greatest symbol of the great exchange. There's no better symbol of the great exchange than Christ uh, taking our sin as, uh, as he drinks the wrath of God, the cup of wrath for us, and then giving us the cup of salvation in exchange for that. So uh, as we sing this, this last song, um, let's, let's think uh, not so much about the wrath of God, but the way that the wrath of God is a demonstration of his uh, glory and free righteousness in this wonderful exchange.